Good morning. So it is, for some of us, maybe not all of you suffer from this, but for some of us, it's allergy season, right? And the last couple of days have been at least rough for those of us who have fall allergies. And so for me personally, the song, Praying For You, I'd appreciate prayer for Pastor Mark. Just because uh, in allergy season, I, I have two choices. I can... I can have just disgusting things happening with my face, and you have to endure that, or I can take medicine. And so that dries everything up, but it also makes me a, a little bit cloudy. So right now, all that's kind of running through my head is what a terrible name Cyrus Stanky is. And <laughs> I, that's a terrible name. And so I need to be focused on Jonah. So uh, I need to get that out of, and now I've said it, it's out there. We can hopefully, I can hopefully move on. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can be together. And uh, Lord, as we look into your word, as we, as we wrap up our study of Jonah today, I, I do just want to thank you that uh, you've given us this place to gather. Uh, you've given us the, the freedom to gather. Uh, we think about people around the world that don't have this privilege, and we just want to say thank you that we do, and we ask that you would help us as we study your word today, that you would give us clarity of thought. Please give me clarity of thought and focus as uh, I present your word, uh, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would ultimately be the one who teaches us today, that we would be humble, that we would listen this morning with humble hearts, that we would have a teachable spirit. And I just want to thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are wrapping up our series on Jonah this morning, this reluctant prophet, this rebellious prophet. It's been an interesting story as we've uh, kind of watched his story develop and, and we find out in chapter three and four that his attitude problem just doesn't seem to be getting any better. And I wish I had better news for you, but we're getting into chapter four today and it, it really just doesn't. When we stopped, we stopped last week on this verse, Jonah chapter three, verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, they meaning the Ninevites, Jonah gave this very simple one sentence message that God was gonna bring judgment upon them for their wickedness and they repented. They, from, from the king all the way down to the, the people in the street, they, the city repented. And they turned from their evil ways. It wasn't just uh, a prayer of, of we're sorry, a prayer of appeasement to Jonah's God. They, they repented. It says when God saw what they did, they uh, were in sackcloth and, and ashes and fasting, and they turned from their evil ways God relented and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Now, when you hear that verse, when I hear that verse, I have a certain expectation of what I think the response should be. I have a certain expectation in my head as I'm reading the story of how I think a normal person, how I think Jonah should respond to what just happened. We, I think, would expect the reaction of a prophet of God, like Jonah, a, a certain response in that moment. 120,000 people just repented of sin. And it's also possible that the 120,000 
is just the men. They did that oftentimes when counting in, in ancient days. They would only count the men. So it's also, it's definitely possible that what we're talking about when you add women and children into that number, half million, 600,000 people, their lives were just spared. Like they didn't die. They didn't, they, they, they didn't experience what Sodom and Gomorrah experienced with the, the fire from heaven and God's judgment. They, their lives were spared. Jesus said this in, in Luke chapter 15, it's recorded, that when one sinner repents of sin, what happens in heaven, do you know? Yeah, there's, Jesus said there's more rejoicing in heaven from one sinner who repents than over 99 people who don't need to repent. So if there's rejoicing in heaven from just one sinner who repents, Imagine the thunderous applause that, that must have taken place when a half million people turned to God, didn't die in this judgment that would have been rained down like Sodom and Gomorrah. I, I think we would expect the next verse to read, and Jonah rejoiced greatly that God's grace and compassion resulted in a miraculous spiritual revival. Well, that's not, that wasn't his reaction. Go ahead, open your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 said, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. What? Oh, it gets worse. And he became very angry. Look at verse 3. Well, how angry could he possibly be? Verse 3, he says, just kill me now, Lord. I would rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Whoa. The description of Jonah's anger is that of violent irritation. Like in the original language, that's, that's what that word means. Like when we read, he was very upset in the English, he's not just irritated, he is violently irritated. Let's, and I, I read that, and I'm reading the description of the definition of this Hebrew word, and, and what came to mind was these parents. Do you ever go to a, a Little League game in recent years? Do you ever go to a Pee Wee football game in recent years? And, and experience some of these parents that lose their minds and they yell at each other and they yell at the refs or the umpire and, and they're ready to fight. Sometimes they do. It's like, what is happening? We are at a, these are eight-year-olds. You need to chill. And that's the picture of how Jonah is acting and how he feels. He's so angry, he wants to die. Seems a little over the top. But maybe he had a good reason. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe, maybe he had a good reason for being this angry. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the Ninevites are really terrible drivers and he's going through town and, and they're cutting him off and, and it just the road rage got away from him. Maybe, maybe all the service calls in Israel come out of Nineveh and he can't understand what they're saying. They put him on hold for hours and he's just, he's had enough. Well, obviously none of those are the real reasons that he's angry. What's he angry about? 
Verse 1, what we read in verse 1, what we read in verse 3 is in response to verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they had done, how they had put a stop to their evil ways, God changed his mind, did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened, and now Jonah is mad. He's mad that God didn't blow up Nineveh. Doesn't seem like something you should be mad about. Look at verse two. He, he, ex, he expands on his anger here. He explains himself. He complains. Verse two, Jonah complained to the Lord about it. I knew it. I knew it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? I knew you would do this. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. Listen to the tone of his complaint and the words that are in the complaint. They don't seem to match up. That's why, that's why I, uh, I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people, and I'm mad about it. Just so we're all on the same page, Jonah is angry. He feels violent irritation and fury that God is gracious and compassionate, that he is slow to anger and abounding in love. Now, if you feel like you're missing something, uh, you're not alone. Uh, I, 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 I always thought those were good qualities, his anger not only seems over the top, it seems quite inappropriate. And you see that. I, I see it clearly. You see it clearly. So does God. Look at God's response to what Jonah says in, in, in verse 4. He, the Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry about this? Now, if you have a different version, the, the question might be worded a little bit differently. You might have the question worded like this. Have you any right to be angry? And if that's the way it's worded in your version, just so you understand, it's not, uh, it's not like our legal rights that God is referencing, like our, our right to an attorney or our right to, uh, to free speech or something. That's not what, what God was referencing here. The, the question is, is more like, Jonah, is it, is it possible that you're not right in what you're angry about? Is, is it possible, Jonah, that, any, that there's nothing good that's coming out of this burning anger that you have? Like, that's the sense, that's the tone of that question that God asks. You don't have to answer out loud, you don't have to even, you know, tell your neighbor, but has anger ever clouded your vision? You ever been annoyed that, that God would be, would be gracious towards someone that you don't think deserves it? My sister Michelle and my brother-in-law Craig, a lot of you know them, they're great parents. Yeah, they, they love Jesus. They live Jesus-centered lives. Several years ago, they lost their baby daughter, Mia. 
And if you've been through something like that, you understand the depths of that sorrow. But even if you've not personally been through the loss of a child, how, how easy would it be, honestly, just how, how easy would it be to let the pain of an incredible loss like that move someone's hearts? And I'm, I'm thinking about like Craig and Michelle. Like, how easy would it be to just let pain of that incredible loss move their hearts towards resentment towards God? Resentment towards someone that who is living a life that is far away from God, and they have a healthy baby. And I'm sure that they felt that temptation of anger. But here's what I saw: I watched them both rely on God's strength for healing, and I watched them both choose to believe that God is gracious and compassionate and kind and abounding in love and receive that even in their deepest pain. See, sometimes, sometimes anger and stubbornness can cloud our vision. That's just a real life example. And we look at, you know, this is a long time ago and, and Jonah's got an attitude issue or whatever, right? But just in, in real life, we can, we can be wounded, we can be hurt, we, we can go through experiences in life that are really, really hard. And if we're not careful, anger can cloud our vision and, and it, can, it can rot in our, in our souls and, and just turn to bitterness and hatred and irrational thoughts. Sometimes that anger and stubbornness can even blind us to what, what, is, what is God trying to teach us in this? And I think that's what happened in Jonah's life. And we don't have the full story, the full backstory as to how Jonah got to that place. But I think that's what's going on with him. If you go back to verse, verse five, you know, in, in response, you know, God says, do you have any right to be angry? Do, are, are you sure, Jonah, that you're right in your anger? And Jonah doesn't respond verbally. He just, he walks away. Jonah went out, verse five, went out to the east side of the city, made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, wait a minute. I think we already read verse 10 of what was gonna happen to the city. Nothing. God spared them, and yet he went up, let's say, imagine on a hillside somewhere, built himself a little makeshift shelter. Well, what's he waiting for? Well, he's probably hoping that this repentance in Nineveh is short-lived. That happens sometimes. People, you've seen this, maybe you've experienced it, I don't know, but sometimes people get rattled in life. Something happens, a life-changing event happens, and it rattles them and they get religion, right? And you know they show up at a church somewhere and uh, they're all in for a day, for a couple weeks, until life feels normal again and, and then they're no longer interested in God, right? You, you probably have seen that. And, and I think that's what Jonah 
as, he, as he's sitting underneath this makeshift shelter of his, like he's hoping, maybe even rooting for a short-lived repentance so that God would destroy them. But again, look how God responds to Jonah as he sits there and pouts and has this attitude issue. Verse six, the Lord God arranged for or provided a leafy plant, a vine, to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. And this eased his discomfort. I think the NIV puts it, this made him very happy. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Verse 7, but God also arranged or provided for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for or provided for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. God said to Jonah, again, ask him this question, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Of course, Jonah's response is yes. (laughs) Yes, I am right in my anger, even angry enough to die. I don't know if you picked up on the repetitive word there, uh, arranged or provided seems to be a repetitive phrase, especially right here, but even when we go back to the fish, the great fish, God sent the terrible storm, but, but God provided the great fish. He provided the vine, the tiny worm. God provided the scorching east wind. And every time you see that, you see that God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson, trying to wake him up. And when God asked him this second time, Jonah, do you have, do you have any right to be angry? Are you sure? Are you sure that you are right in what you're angry about? Jonah's response was, yeah, I am right. And what we see is over and over again, Jonah just keeps missing what God was trying to teach him. Whether he couldn't see it or didn't want to see it or his anger was blinding him, whatever it was, he wasn't getting it. I love, though, that God doesn't just give up on him. I don't know if you get stubborn sometimes and and you get hard-headed, but boy, I'm thankful God doesn't give up on us. Sometimes we may have to learn the hard way, I I guess, but it's encouraging to know that God just doesn't throw his arms up and say, well, lost cause, let's move on. Verse 10, the Lord said, "You, you feel sorry about the plant, you had nothing to do with it. You, you didn't put it there. It, it came quickly and it died quickly. Again, God's trying to teach him a lesson, trying to get him to understand something. In verse 11, he, I think, makes it pretty obvious what the point is. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. You might have the phrase, they don't, they don't know their left hand from their right hand. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry or or have pity for or compassion for such a great city? 
Jonah, you're, you're concerned about this vine because you're concerned about yourself, right? Isn't that the point that God's making? It's pretty obvious, the point that he's making. You, you're worried about your own comfort, but you're not, you're not concerned at all about the 120,000, maybe a half million people that, that could have died? That doesn't bother you? And this figure of speech that God uses who don't know, uh, in the Hebrew, who don't know their left from their right, it, it could have meant children. Like, Jonah, doesn't it bother you that kids are down in that city? It also can mean what the, the New Living translates it into, that these are people that are in spiritual darkness. They don't know any better. Their wickedness is all they know. Their wickedness is normal and acceptable to them because they don't have the spiritual insight that Israel has. And we get it. it we get what, Jonah, what God was trying to teach Jonah. You see it, I see it. It seems pretty obvious. It's pretty simple and straightforward, the point that God is making here, but Jonah didn't get it. He's missing it. And then the book ends. And it ends like one of those movies with an unsatisfying ending. You're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Why are they rolling the credits right now? This is not okay with me. That they can't end the movie here. Did they live happily ever after or did everyone die? What just happened? And the book of Jonah ends like that. And we might feel like, wait, 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 wait. Did Jonah finally get it? Did he repent? Did he, did he let God humble his heart? And, or, or did he go back home and, and uh, you know, resign from being a prophet? What, what happened next? And we don't know. The book just ends, and I am violently irritated by the unsatisfying ending. Well, I'm not mad about it, but I am curious. I'm curious because I look at Jonah and what I see is a guy who's not an atheist. Like, I would expect this kind of reaction out of someone who doesn't believe that God exists. He's not a pagan polytheist. He's not a guy who's theologically ignorant, who doesn't know his left hand from his right. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah knew Scripture. Jonah knew the character and nature of God. And yet Jonah allowed his heart to get into this dark place where he was actually angry about the grace and compassion and love of God. Like he saw those things as bad things. The lesson of the fish, the lesson of the vine, seemed pretty obvious what God's trying to teach, and yet Jonah either couldn't see it because he was clouded, his vision was clouded from anger, or he didn't want to see it. And here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if, the, if, this, if this could happen to someone like Jonah, if someone like Jonah's heart could be hardened this way, if someone like Jonah could completely miss what God was trying to teach him, could that happen to you? Could it happen to me? Is it possible that those of us who know God, who who have experienced the grace of God in our lives, who have received forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life, not because we 
deserve it, but because of God's grace and the sacrifice of Jesus that he made for us on the cross. Is, is it possible that we could allow anger to cloud our vision to who God is and what God is trying to teach us through whatever season of life we may be experiencing? Jesus challenged us to to carefully consider our own tendency to see faults in others clearly and have this tendency to ignore or not see the faults in our own lives. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus describes it this way. Why worry about the speck the speck of sawdust in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye. How can you, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye. I, clearly, you've got a problem. Let me help you with your, your issue, your problem. When you can't see past the log in your own eye, and then he, he uses this word, hypocrite, First, it's not that you shouldn't care about others and the things that they have going on in their lives and maybe the shortcomings in in their lives that that we should be able to help each other with. That's not the point. The point is, is having that conversation with humility. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see clear enough, well enough, to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. When we have these conversations, and we should love each other enough to have them, uh, about shortcomings or, or areas of our lives when we're getting off base. We should have those conversations, but we need to do it with humility, not with condescension, not with self-righteousness, like I've got it all together and, and you just stink at life. Let me fix what's going on in your life since I've obviously got it all figured out. I, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that, that everyone and their brother looks at and thinks, how do you not know you're in the wrong here? How are you missing what God is trying to do in your heart, in your, in your thinking? How are you missing what God's trying to teach you? I, I'm guessing you don't want to be that guy, that you don't want to be that gal. Let's talk about the things that, that may, may rob us of having a soft, teachable heart, we're all gonna come up short. We're not always gonna get it right, but if we have a soft, teachable heart, God can reveal that to us, we can repent of it, and God can change us. But we have to have a soft, teachable heart, and there's, I'm sure there are many obstacles or enemies of a soft, teachable heart that we could think of. I'm just going to bring up two because we see them in Jonah's life. The first one is anger. Anger was Jonah's most obvious enemy of a soft and teachable heart. He was so blinded by his anger that it distorted his vision. He began to see God's grace, God's compassion, God's love. He began to view those things as, as bad because God wanted to give them away to people that he didn't think, that Jonah didn't think deserved it. Now, anger itself is a, is a normal emotion that we are going to experience, but when anger is left to linger, 
in our hearts because of a lack of grace, because of a lack of forgiveness, what happens? Well, it, it rots, it decays into bitterness, into resentment, into irrational hatred. Jesus talked about why we need to have a forgiving heart in a story that he told in Matthew 18. I'm just going to read it to you. You can follow along if you would like. Matthew 18, verse 23, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. It's a normal thing. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. And he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his, with his wife, with his, with his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged, please, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. And his master was filled with pity or compassion for him. And he released him. Not only released him, but forgave his debt. Wiped it out. Millions of dollars. But when the man who was just forgiven millions of dollars in debt. When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him thousands. Now, thousands of dollars is, is significant. It's not like, it's, you know, you owe me five bucks. Let's go fight. It's thousands of dollars, but we're talking about a guy who was just forgiven millions. And he goes out, and this guy that owes him a few thousand dollars, he says he grabbed him by the throat, demanded instant payment, Fellow servant fell down before him, same thing, begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, I'll pay it. He begged, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Well, some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. It's clear to everybody else what's going on here, but this guy's not seeing it. They went to the king, they told him everything that happened. Then the king called in the man who had, uh, he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Listen to the point now that Jesus makes about this story. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I mean, it seems pretty obvious in the story that Jesus told, this parable, that this guy's in the wrong. The king saw it. The fellow servants saw it. Everybody sees it, but he didn't. His anger over a guy that owed him some money distorted his vision, and he didn't get the lesson of grace that the king had just taught him, that he personally experienced. Could we just do a quick heart check? Has, has anger been robbing you? Has anger been robbing you of a soft and teachable heart? I'm going to give you the, the benefit of the doubt. Let's give ourselves, we do this anyway, but give, let's give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and say whatever it is that you're angry about, let's say you're in the right. A lot of times we're not, but let's say that you are. You have every right to be angry. Whatever it is you're angry about, you're right. The other person's wrong. Okay. I'll concede the point. 
What's God want you to do with that anger? Seriously, what, what does God want us to do with that, with that anger? Does God want us to go get revenge? Does God want us to lash out in an angry email? I'm really going to get this person on social media. Where do they read this? Is that, is that what God wants us to do in our anger? Or does God want us to forgive? Does God want us to learn something in, in the experience and, uh, and grow in wisdom through it? It obviously wouldn't take a very deep Bible study to figure the answer to that out. In fact, what does Jesus say? The whole point of that story was a pretty strong uh, command that we need to, that, that's God's expectation is that we forgive. I wonder if sometimes anger can be a reason that we just don't have a soft, teachable heart, that we are missing what God's trying to teach us, or that our vision gets clouded. We don't see God for who He really is. It's also possible it could be the other thing that I see in Jonah, and stubbornness. Jonah, Jonah just seemed to have this real stubborn streak in him. He was, he was convinced that he was right and convinced that God was wrong. Stubbornness is an enemy of a soft and teachable heart because stubbornness is rooted in pride that cannot admit that we are in the wrong about anything. Even if God himself calls us out on our attitude, even if God himself calls us out on our behavior, nope, you know, I hear it, I see it, I don't care. I'm right, God's wrong. That's stubbornness rooted in pride. And that's not the same thing as having convictions. Convictions that are rooted in truth and truth that is rooted in God, not in me, not in you. That's one thing. As followers of Jesus, we, we absolutely should be willing to stand on the truth of Scripture. But a person who says, I will not be swayed from my personal truth... Even in defiance of God's actual truth, what's really happening there, it's pride that is expressing itself in stubbornness. Let's do a quick heart check. Is, is your tendency, and I can't answer this for you, hopefully with a humble, honest heart, you can answer this question. Is your tendency, when you read something in God's Word, or maybe you hear a sermon or a podcast or something uh, from, from the Word of God, and it challenges you, to change your thinking, your, your behavior, your priorities, whatever it is, that is something that is in con conflict with what you're doing or thinking or saying, is your tendency to humbly surrender to God's will or is your tendency to look for the loophole? Is your tendency to, to rationalize why your way is better than God's way? Is it possible that stubbornness is the reason you're missing what God's trying to teach you? Let me just remind you again who Jonah was. Jonah was a prophet of God who knew God's word. He knew God's character. He knew God's nature. He's not an atheist. He, he, he's not a theologically illiterate fool. 
And yet Jonah allowed his heart to get to this place where he viewed God's grace and love and compassion as something that wasn't good. Jonah allowed his anger and stubbornness to distort his view of God to to keep him from learning what God was trying to teach him. And if it could happen to Jonah, it could happen to you. If it could happen to a man like Jonah, it could happen to me. So how do we make sure we maintain a soft and teachable heart? I just want to offer as we close one simple, practical, easy to do solution to this. The next time something doesn't go your way, the next time you find yourself frustrated, angry, hurt, the next time you feel like you are the victim of an injustice, the next time that you feel uh, sadness wash over you and sorrow and it just doesn't seem fair or right that you're experiencing this, and you begin to feel anger, the next time that uh, you, you experience that, just, just pause and simply ask God to help remove or to take away the anger. Anger is going to happen, but if it's left to linger, it will rot. And when we feel it, you absolutely may be in the right. I'll concede that point that maybe you are absolutely in the right and the other person's wrong. Fine. But what are you going to do with the anger? Ask God to help you deal with it and remove it from your heart. Start there and then after you ask God to take the anger out of your heart, then ask him to reveal to you what it is he wants you to learn. It's really hard to hear God speak when we're angry. Ask him to take the anger out of our hearts. What do, what do you want me to do here, Lord? I know you don't want me to just fire off an angry email. I, I know you don't want me to lose my temper and embarrass myself. Take the anger, help me to calm down. Okay, what do you want to teach me? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond to this? It may be that you need to, to step in and, and, and respond, but, but not in anger. And just have that honest, humble conversation with God. If you get in the habit of doing that, Whenever you experience irritation, anger, hurt, when you get in the habit of that conversation with God, it will protect your and mine soft and teachable heart. And I hope that's helpful.